Let's give the praise offering to the Lord. Shall we do that? That makes me feel a little more at home. Praise God. Uh, now you look all look scholarly. Just take a look around you. Uh, if we were under the Old Testament banner, uh, the requirements for the priesthood were pretty strong. If you were to uh, be able to stand in the presence of Almighty God and to bring the bread of the Lord in His presence, you couldn't have a crooked hand, you couldn't have a broken foot, you couldn't have a broken back, you couldn't have a flat nose, a scurvy eye, anything wrong with the ear, or any blemish. My God in heaven, none of us would qualify. Just look around. Thank God for the grace of God. And when he went to the cross, he nailed all of it there. And uh, when we approach this moment, uh, it's one of the historic moments in the time of our Pentecostal movement. I'm very, very delighted at the turnout uh, there's, I, I believe, Brother Hall, if not 400, maybe 400 plus in this room. And then there are more coming tomorrow. That tells me you have a deep interest in our teachings. And I think that is important to the United Pentecostal Church International. We need to know why we preach it. And we know, need to know what we're preaching. And we need to know how to deliver it in the most effective way. I don't know that uh, this will be the form that will develop that, but the knowledge and the understanding that you will receive from uh, uh, papers that have relevant teachings doctrinally that are part of our whole uh, canon of doctrine will be important to each of us. And the book that has already been put together by Brother Holland, he does deserve a lot of credit for a lot of hard work and those who work with him is a wealth of knowledge and you don't want to leave here without taking that book home with you it'll give you time for study time for meditation if you warm it with prayer and tears i'm sure god will give you an anointing when you step into the pulpit to declare the truth and so we're happy you're here we're happy the lord is here don't go quiet on us in this place or i'll think we are am amongst scholars we're just plain old Pentecostal Holy Ghost folks wanting to know more about the Lord. And I think that's important to us in this day. God bless you. You may be seated after you turn around and shake hands with somebody and tell them you're glad that they came to the symposium. Somebody's already asked the question. I think we can pass it on to you. There will be tapes available for the session, so you might want to keep that in mind. I think I would stop for a moment, uh, Brother Hall, and let you make an announcement about the books or registry, if you would. Would you like to do that? Why don't, why don't you come up here, use a microphone. There might be some folks interested in knowing. All right, thank you, Brother Hall. Uh, 
I wrote mine too. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I wanted to join the scholars. But I wrote it down for a reason, and uh, one of the specific reasons you'll find is you leaf through it a little bit is some scripture that has to do with uh, some of the things that are part of our organization and movement. We've come to a moment in the history of the Pentecostal movement of one as believers when we must carefully look at the faith which has propelled us into existence as a continuing aspect of the body of Christ. We are now at the point of fourth and fifth generation of Pentecostals. Purity of doctrine keeps the church pure. In one of Apostle Paul's writings, he stated, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Time has the power, and I'm speaking about the time that has to do with eternity, with weeks and months and days. Time has the power to deteriorate faith or intensify the fire of believing in truth. Isaiah tells us, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. For those who might criticize, the Lord, through his word, has urged us to sit down and reason together. 1 Peter 3.15 reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Intellectualism is not the answer. Scholarship is not the premium of focus. The Word of God abideth forever. Praise God. And whatever we do in the way of developing a keen sense of insight into the things that have to do with doctrine and truth, everything we do it has been from the beginning in Pentecostal circles that we have built it on the solid foundation of the Word. And that must still continue. The time has come for doctrinal examination for several reasons. We're a Christocentric movement of believers. Our scriptural position on the person and identity of Jesus Christ has become a curiosity point of numerous scholars. In a recent symposium at Harvard University, there were attempts to degrade our teachings concerning Christ as manifest God, where we see the Godhead in that one person of Jesus. There are divergent Trinitarian viewpoints promulgated by so-called scholars trying to make our position appear erroneous. We precisely maintain that the apostolic church of the first century believed the doctrine of the Godhead in Christ as we behold and love it today. In our fellowship there are various things about our interpretation which concerns the God in Christ position. There is some concern about his pre-existence, who he was in the aeons of eternity, when he became the Son of God, though there are a few who believe that there was some pre-existent situation of sonship, 
there is not a clear expression that could possibly fit scriptural teachings. Therefore, it is imperative that on this one great subject, we who love this truth with intensity and endearment through this symposium clarify and come to a better understanding of the truth as the scripture presents it. Through our symposium committee, we invited a number of men whom we feel are splendidly capable of teaching these truths. Furthermore, we are concerned deeply about the teachings of ethical righteousness, which we call holiness. This is one of the landmark doctrines of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is of utmost significance that through our dialogue at this symposium, we begin to see a united atmosphere as befits our name, the United Pentecostal Church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We have heard through the years criticism about organized church bodies. Now, let me just uh, digress just a moment here. I grew up in Pentecostal circles. I laid on the floor of a Pentecostal, I wouldn't call it a church, it was a storefront. I laid on a pallet. Any folks know what a pallet is? You identify your age when you say that, or when you nod assent. And then when they laid you down to sleep, you prayed that nobody would dance on you. But growing up in that kind of an atmosphere, though as a child and growing into teenage and then into uh, times where, I don't know if you've had the experience, and I'm sure you have, and if you didn't and you say you didn't, I think you're lying. As I grew up as a Pentecostal boy, I got embarrassed sometimes by some things that Pentecostals did. <laughs> but that did not stop me from believing in what I was taught. And before I got saved, I got in a lot of fist fights because they would call me a holy roller. Anybody that called me a holy roller, holy roller got a fistful. I'd come home scratched, bleeding, and my mother and dad would say, and what happened today? I said I was defending the faith. <laughs> you have to go back a little bit to remember some of those things. I look over at Brother Wheatley there. I know he knows what I'm talking about. Is it necessary to have an organized effort in relationship to the Pentecostal message? That was quite a thing in the beginning of Pentecostal days. Because of the freedom of Pentecost, its power of liberation to the human spirit, in pioneer days, spiritual freedom was often looked upon as a freedom from any authoritarian organized structure. Those who have come from other denominations into Pentecost have felt that no organizational infringement should be placed upon the Pentecostal revival. The task of the church demands that the world be evangelized. The only way, the only way the world can be evangelized is through pooling effort of local church bodies 
who together form a nucleus of churches to bring the worldwide evangelical process into existence. The organization is the effort to unite our resources. It's a central area for the dissemination of information and direction. And without organization, we would not be reaching 102 nations with this precious message today. I appreciate the United Pentecostal Church. Some find the apostolic days as not being organized in any respect. I will bring to you tonight for your personal information the strongly centralized matter of the spiritual enlightenment of the people who were part of the first century church. They looked to Jerusalem for direction. This can help us to understand how strongly this process was organized. Any new problem developing from people had advice given to them from Jerusalem. I hesitate to call the World Evangelism Center the Jerusalem of the 20th century, but I do not hesitate to say that there should be coming from World Evangelism Center the kind of direction that will affect the significance of the preaching ministry of the church as well as matters pertaining to justice and unity among the brethren. Please do not misunderstand this statement. We're not calling it a Jerusalem. It's Hazelwood. <laughs> there was one Jerusalem in the days of the apostles. There is a Hazelwood in our day with the headquarters of the United Pentecostal Church as the World Evangelism Center headquarters. The centrality of Jerusalem in Acts and Galatians follows. Now, I've got a lot of scriptures here, and I'm not going to take time to read them all because I know you don't want to be here till midnight. But I have written numbers of scriptures here, and I'm just going to highlight what I brought to your attention. Acts 6, 1 to 8 is the opening of what we would call a little bit of organized uh, action involving the apostles. You're acquainted with the situation of the Grecian widows. And if you will remember, the apostles were selecting these people that would take care of the business of the church so they could give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the Word of God increased when they did this, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. What I want to bring to your attention is the fact that this began in Jerusalem. It was the problem of the Grecian widows. It was the selection of seven men filled with faith and the Holy Ghost. In Acts 11.22, you'll notice the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was in Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And these tidings had to do with what happened previous to that. If you recall, when uh, Peter went to Cornelius' household after he had been there and declared the message to the Gentiles, he had to come back to Jerusalem and explain what had happened. That might be organization. He had to report that he had been to the Gentiles. And, of course, after he did report what had taken place, there was a great deal of joy. Then these things were noise to other believers in other areas what had taken place concerning the Gentiles. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. 
which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. This took place when the prophecy of Agabus, when he prophesied a great dearth. The elders handled the disposition of compassion services. A little bit of organization. In Acts 12, the word of God grew and multiplied. This is Acts 12, 24, 25. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. This was a time of persecution. The helpers were sent from Jerusalem during the time of persecution. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised, after the manner of Moses you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas, certain other of them, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Sixth verse of Acts 15. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Decision makers. Down in the 22nd verse. Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Down to the 24th verse. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. How interesting that there were some that subverted your souls by reporting wrong things. How interesting. Sounds like 1986. Let me make myself a little plainer. Some folks write papers and say that the general board received a resolution concerning video that they never did receive and then say that it was stopped by the general board. It's a lie. Never happened. I think it's important to address it directly and say it clearly. And when people write in this fashion, they discredit themselves and us. We don't need that kind of thing. In the days of the apostles, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They selected men that had hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if folks are frustrated, they take their frustration out with a pen. And then they want to maim somebody with ink takes more than ink. We come to some further things. In this relationship to Jerusalem, it tells us that when they heard what had taken place in Antioch, the multitude were together and they delivered epistle that had come from Jerusalem, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. That which was decided at Jerusalem was sent to the ends of the fellowship 
so that they could receive the understanding of the decision. In another instance, Acts 16, he had to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. As they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. These were authority papers. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Acts 18.21 But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. This is when Paul was being... Uh, was being requested to stay at Ephesus by elders there, but apparently something at Jerusalem that was commemorative and important to Paul made him return to Jerusalem to celebrate with the leaders of the church. After those days, we took up our carriages, went up to Jerusalem. This is Acts 21. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, brought with them one Manasseh of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge, when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. When he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. This put Paul in a dilemma which he faced because of the practice of, of purification. And if you read that, you come to another situation where there had to be some salvaging of a condition that was the zeal of one man. And sometimes, and I almost hesitate to say this, and yet it can happen that they got some bad advice from Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. Not Hazelwood. <laughs> but of course, what I'm trying to say that in relationship to what we are as a people, there are things out in the field and there are things here. We are together in a great cause. And we bring together not only the minds that have a great desire to see the forward progress of the church, we bring together the strong desire in our movement to see revival like we've never seen it before. And friends, it is coming. Galatians 1, 11 to 20. Let me read this to you. I, I enjoy this when I read it. You've read it, but let's read it again. I don't mind reading the Word of God. How about you? I certify your brethren the gospel which we preached, which was preached to me is not after man. I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I run unto you, behold, before God I lie not. I think that's a choice passage in the scriptures. Let me tell you why I feel it's choice. Here's a man who receives the revelation of this great truth through God to himself. The thing that makes me rejoice is the fact God can do that and still does that. The other thing that I think is very pleasing that even after three years of this great phenomena of revelation that came to one man, he thought it necessary to go to Jerusalem and talk it over with other brethren. I think this is why we're here, to talk it over and think about things that are vital to us as a people. Galatians 2, 1 to 2, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, took Titus with me also. I went up by revelation, communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Galatians 2, 9 through 16, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew, separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. The other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. What a tremendous message. Sounds like a district board meeting or a general board meeting. Why not? Clarify. Discuss. Talk about the things that become a part of us. Is it possible, and I pose this to you tonight, <clears throat> is it possible that brethren who dwell together in the unity of spirit can come to the unity of faith? There are things about which we should speak the same thing as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 1.10. In the teachings of ethical righteousness, we must remember our humble beginnings. We came out from among them. When we make a statement of this nature, we must understand that our hunger for truth and for spiritual renaissance through our pioneer fathers was based on a return to apostolic basic teachings. In the words of Jude, the faith once delivered to the saints. This is our quest. 
Will the church in its sleek, fat affluence still proclaim modesty in dress and lifestyle? Is it possible that the infringement of a permissive world will steal the beauty of modesty and humility? Will we become wearers of gold? Will the technological society, which features awesome new areas of communication, become a tempting device of Satan to thrust the church into the maelstrom of circuitous whirlwinds of worldliness? Can the United Pentecostal Church, in the midst of PTL, 700 clubs, charismatic renewals, make-believe pseudo-tongue-talking, resist the temptation to float with this tide, maintain its purity of modesty, its holiness of doctrine, its beauty of holiness and worship? This includes matters pertaining to women's hair. It pertains to how far and where recreation stops in relationship to the church and its function. It involves the use of video and its dangers. We are being challenged. Will we pass on to our coming generation of preachers a strong position instead of weaning people from truth? Will we stabilize and structure backbone in the coming generation of preachers? We are urged to speak the same things through the scriptural exhortation of Apostle Paul. This, this symposium could possibly be one of the greatest steps in the understanding of our direction. Let me pose several other things that are vital to us. Will we become rigid legislators or will we become Holy Ghost lovers with a passion for preaching the truth in love? Will we become authoritarians and lords over God's heritage or will we arrive at conclusions that the ministry must be must not be abusive, but be a concerned ministry that seeks the salvation of the lost, the feeding of the sheep of God's pasture, and the preparation of the church for the coming of the Lord. Will we be parrots who just mouth truths and become professionals, or will we be servants who minister the truth? Our coming together on the basis of self-examination and personal examination of thinking can become the most conducive instrument not only to bringing revival to our churches, but also affecting an outflow of saving power with great consideration of the needs of all mankind, whether they be church people of other denominations or sinners who not, know nothing about God. We are a church of destiny with great responsibility. We stand at the crossroads. We do know where we are going if we follow truth. If we ignore the teachings of the truth, Delusions, reprobation, apostasy will make us pay a terrible price. We could lose the impetus of the power of Pentecost in its purity and its issuance of life and strength that is desperately sought for in a very wicked, tempest-tossed world. Let us rise as brethren together and speak the same things and watch revival come. Let us seek truth until power and gifts of the Spirit flow like a river. Glory and Shekinah will be the normal atmosphere. Our preaching stirs and brings sinners to their knees in repentance. Let us proclaim truth to lift the bedraggled, the frustrated, the distraught, the desperate into a realm of hope that the gospel promises. What a privilege to be here. I congratulate you for participating in one of the greatest opportunities and privileges of our time. Long live the church. Glory be to the God of our salvation. Honor to His Majesty, King Jesus. And rich blessings upon all of you. Praise God. Let's worship Him.
clap our hands to the Lord and thank Him tonight. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Amen. I'm stirred already. Amen. Don't miss any session. In the morning, the very first session is going to generate a lot of questions and searching in your mind.